Good morning. Good to see everybody today here at our Colonial Heights campus, Midlothian campus, online campus. I don't even know where all we got campuses now, but man, we're coming from all over to gather together and uh, it's good to be together. And today we are kicking off uh, 21 days of prayer. And I think this can be really profound in each of our lives, and I pray throughout our church and throughout our community. I say uh, kicking off today. Today is day one of the 21 prayers, but we started Wednesday night and uh, had through our very online and in-person at the campuses, we had over 400 people uh, gather for that time of prayer, and it was it was really profound. I'm very excited about this. I'm going to quit talking so much, turn it over to, to Pastor David Alori, one of our pastors here, and one of David's primary responsibilities here on our on our staff is leading us in prayer efforts. So, David, why don't you give us some of the admin on this, and and then kind of kick us off with a prayer. Yes, I am so excited about what God is uh, going to do. Uh, we've uh, had the opportunity to put out together, uh, put together this uh, prayer guide, and I just want to go over a couple of things real quickly. First of all, the anchoring scripture is from Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. I want to encourage you to actually grab a hold of your Bible when you get home this evening. Read the whole of the book of Joel. It's only three chapters, uh, but it will give you a real picture of why we use this scripture and what we are praying for. Uh, It says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts and not your clothes and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. That is God's heart for our nation. It is for our community. It is for our church. It is for our homes, and it is for us individually. And that's why we are going to the Lord. Uh, Let me also uh, show you uh, up in page 6. There is the words of our senior pastor, Pastor Andy, why we are praying uh, the next 21 days. It says this, it is about holding on to God tighter than ever before. It is about, and this is halfway through paragraph one on page six. It is about holding on to God tighter than ever before. It is about making sure every step is the step he has for us. It is about going before the Lord on behalf of our nation, our community, our home. We have the responsibility to do this. So that is why we are praying for the next 21 days. Uh, Quickly, uh, the reason why... um, uh, I want you, as you as you use this guide, not to uh, use it as a, uh, uh, something that is concrete in the sense that, oh, I have to pray every line and I have to pray every sentence. No, it's a guide. Um, I want you to more follow the spirit of the book rather than the letter. Bible says that uh, the spirit gives life, but the letter kills. So we don't want to turn into rigid uh, uh, something to follow through. Uh, be careful uh, with fasting and praying, uh, with the fasting part, make sure you're following what the Lord is saying to you about that. Um, some of us are doing full fast, some are doing Daniel fast. There's a uh, fasting guide on page six. So uh, if you're taking medications, those are things to consider also. Um, 
Use page six. There's a lot of Thanksgiving uh, prayers on page six. That's how we're going to start each day. Uh, you can also add your own Thanksgiving to that page. Uh, that's something you can do. Uh, and also begin to think about those who you will be praying with. We have a section, three weekends, of praying together, whether you're in a live group or family members or someone you want to call on the phone, Zoom. Uh, just get together with some folks. We're going to be uh, in the praying together section. That is to pray for our church, our community, and our nation. And lastly, I want to say to us, this is a team effort. The, there are certain blessings that only come when you do things together, corporately, a family, and that blessing, you would only get it when you partake in it. And so I want to encourage you, pray with us. Uh, think about fasting with us uh, the next 21 days. God's got great things for our church. I'm going to pray for us now. Father, Lord, I thank you because you are so faithful. You've called this house to prayer for the next 21 days. And Father God, I pray that you will show my, your mighty right hand as we pray, as we call on you, as we turn from our wicked ways, as we repent individually. Let it flow, God, from our personal lives to our families. Let it flow into our community. Let it flow, Lord God, into our state. Let it flow into our nation. Lord God, we ask that you would, oh God, keep your hand from, oh God, destroying us because of our sins we ask that you would show us mercy just like the nation of Nineveh did they fasted and they turned from their wicked ways and God you kept judgment from that nation so we are asking God that you would do that in this nation we are asking that you would do that in our community we are asking that you would do that in our homes and father God I pray that you would give us the power to pray the power to fast father to call on you I pray for health and and strength for all all of those that are going to be a part of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, David. I appreciate David's leadership and all the work he's done to help us create Wednesday night and today. And we're, I, we're going to applaud for him. Yeah. He deserves it. So uh, excited about that. I tell you, I want to just add one comment, one verse. Uh, you know, he talked about we're anchoring out of the book of Joel and that passage there in chapter 2. But man, one thing I'm really praying for is comes from James 1 verse 5 and following. And it's, you know, folks, even when we're desperate, we're desperate to hear from God. We're desperate to have his answer. We have the ability in that desperation to pray and then get up and leave and not even look for his answer. Get, get up and go right on in our own power, our own wisdom, go in our, our own way. And I'm, I'm just praying there's going to be great faith, the kind of faith that says, I'm going to hear God's answer. I'm going to see God's answer. And I'm not moving. I'm not responding. I'm not acting until I know that's God. And that's what I'm praying for each of us is that we have that faith to wait until he says, that's God. It's going to be an exciting time. And I'm want to believe on him for what this can mean uh, in our lives, in our nation, our homes throughout this, uh, this coming year. We certainly want to pray a lot for our families. Anytime we focus on something, uh, Satan has a tendency to want to do the same thing. 
I'm going to focus on this also. And he's going to want to discourage. He's going to want to take the truth uh, that we're hearing and and make sure that you know you can't make it work. You can't do that. And and so, uh, boy, this is a time to really be praying for our families as we're focusing on that. We, if you're new to our church, today's your first time here. Last Sunday, only, only missed one Sunday, uh, we started a new series called Why Family? And uh, that's the question we're trying to answer as we kick off this year. And I, I set that question in two different contexts. I think they go together, but two different contexts. One was, was more of a cultural context. And I, and I made the comment that the family, and I described that uh, from from God's definition, a husband and a wife, a mother, a father, children, that 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 design for the family is absolutely what is best for me as a person and what is best for us as a society. Now that might sound like, well, that's what you're supposed to say in a church. That's what you're supposed to say as a pastor. No, that's what you say as a thinking human being. And that is a scientific statement I made, not a faith statement or a religious statement. That is a scientific, that is measurable by sociological standards that there is nothing as good and as powerful in our lives as that nuclear family, that traditional family. Now, you know what? Sometimes we end up in a place in life where we have to make something less than design work. We have to work with an alternative. And I believe with the power of God and the grace of God, you and I can move into, can work with an alternative. Sometimes I'm in that alternative because of wrong decisions I've made. Sometimes I'm in that alternative, and this is when it's really hard, because of the wrong decisions somebody else made. I, I, I didn't want to be here. I, I, I wanted to be over there with what God had in mind, but yet here I am in this alternative. Folks, God will guide and God will help in an alternative. But knowing that God will guide and knowing that God will help does not mean we would ever choose the alternative. You always choose God's ideal. You always choose God's design. And so we started off, and we'll go through this whole time thinking about some cultural aspects of this, but then there's also a personal aspect. Why family? I need to know, because I got one. You know, if I don't understand why something is, or I don't understand what the purpose is here, that can make it a little bit more difficult. Sometimes it can make it a lot more difficult, because I'll bring wrong ideas, wrong motivations, wrong purposes to this. And so, man, we need to know why family, why does God have me here? Why does God have me in this so that I can get in line and make it, make it work right? So we'll, uh, today may sound a bit repetitive, but what I'm trying to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to scoop up some statements from last week, kind of made generally, and try to move today more specific and more scriptural in how we build and understand this idea of what's God's purpose, why does, how does God answer the question, why, why family? My, uh, Daughter Amy has been married almost four years now, and, and when she and Danny first got married, they moved to, to Brooklyn, New York. They live in uh, Iowa City now. I can't imagine two very different places to live in the amount of four years, but, but they, they started off in, in Brooklyn, and uh, as they moved there, and of course, you know, you move to summer, you start meeting people. You know, you're meeting people individually at work, you're meeting people socially when you're out with, with friends, and when you're meeting people, you know, you're sharing information about yourself and learning about 
about each other. And, and of course, it would come out that they, they were married, of all things. And, and on a number of occasions, they heard this question. Why? Why, why are you married? Why, why would you be doing that? And the question wasn't asked in an, in an antagonistic or in an attacking way. It was more, I think, probably just a, a curiosity, a, somewhat of an oddity that you would do this. Tell, tell me why you would do this kind of odd thing that you're doing. I share that story because I, I, I think, you know, I've kind of made this presentation last week and we got this series called Why Family? Is that a real question? I think if you're sitting in Chesterfield, Virginia... And that says something about kind of your values and perspective on life. If you're sitting in a church, well, that says something about your values and perspective on life. And if you're, and I'm just pulling this number out of thin air, if you're above the age of 35, okay, if you're above 35, you're sitting in a church, you're in Chesterfield, you may not grasp that this is a real question. As a matter of fact, I actually assume you don't get it. You don't get how big and how significant this question is. But I assure you that the upcoming generations, the population centers in America, are not grappling with that question. They're done with it. They've moved on. And it is my belief, it's totally opinion. I hope I don't sound like, you know, Debbie Downer. But I don't think we're getting back. I, I don't think we're coming back. I don't, I don't think there's some things that can happen and, and we'll all get back on board with understanding why family in, in, in America. I believe that ship has sailed. It's gone. Which means your kids and your grandkids. So if you're sitting here, I don't why family? We all know why family. And, and, and your answer can't be, well, that's why I don't live in New York City. Yeah, well, that's just a real head in the sand statement. That, that's a real statement that says, I am totally happy being ignorant of everything going on around me. Because I absolutely guarantee you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren are coming up in a world that does not understand family. That does not understand marriage. Which means, if they pursue what you and I would believe to be God's design, that's just going to be weird. Again, I go back to the the question Danny and Amy got. They weren't attacked. Nobody made them explain why marriage or why family. They didn't go on to say, here's why I hate marriage. Here's why I hate family. No, it was nothing like that. It was just, that's, that's weird. And you know what? Most of us, we don't like being weird, do we? I don't like doing things that are weird. I don't like being looked at like I'm weird. And yet that's where God's design is going to live in the, in the weird. And, and not only are we potentially taking on something weird, which many just won't do. I just won't do what's considered weird. But it's also hard. Now, that's just a double whammy. It's weird and it's hard. It's weird and it's difficult. You, you know, think about this, folks, when I talk about the challenges of the home. What was your favorite vacation in life? Best trip you ever took. You got one in mind? Favorite place? Is that the same as your worst trip ever? Is that the same worst vacation you've ever had? Some of you look at me like I don't understand the question. 
Well, how about, how, about, how about this? What was the best job you ever had? Just enjoyed the people, the environment, what you did. Best, you got a best job ever? Somebody said, no, I've never had that. Well, think of the closest then. Okay, now, was that the same as your worst job, worst environment, worst people ever? How about favorite teacher? Do you have a favorite teacher, favorite coach? Same as your worst? Saying, okay, I don't get it. Seems kind of dumb questions, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of dumb questions because normally the worst and the best are mutually exclusive, right? You know, I mean, I know what makes something the best trip I ever took, and I know what made it the worst. And boy, they were nothing alike. They would never be together. Nothing is ever the same when it's the best and the worst until we walk inside a home. And there is a place where the best and the worst reside at the same address. Here is this place where I can have absolutely the best and most meaningful moments and relationships in my life. And in that, at that same exact address have some of the worst moments of my life. That the people who I love the very, very most and love me the very, very most. And yet that's the same group of people that can disappoint and hurt us. How can that be? How can the best and the worst collide and live together at one address? How does that, how does that happen? Well, that's actually a, a very simple answer. We all know that. It's because the home houses sinners. Sinners we're trapped with. Sinners we, we can't get a, away from. Hey, I can, sooner or later, I can get in a car. I can get on my camel if I was, you know, back there when the Bible was being written. And I can leave. I'm, 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 I'm done with this today. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Ah, but the home, that's a, that's a place where we can't as easily get away from it. You know, the world wants that for you. The world celebrates that for you. The world is modeling for you relationships. And they don't have the same values that we have. I mean, that's the difficult thing about answering the question, why family? Because a big part of my answer is around values that they don't have, holiness and sexual purity. We'll, we'll see in a moment why those two ideas, but that, that would be a part of my answer. Well, that most of the world is not going to find that very motivating. Now, I could say, well, here's a reason for family, and I could refer to the sociological data. How many decisions have you made in life because of the sociological data? Yeah, I'm, me too, zero. Zero. I mean, now the sociological data is really quite impressive. But when we come to our decisions, boy, and this is more true in America today, I think, than ever before. Truth doesn't really have anything to do with it. it was, this is not about truth. But to be honest with you, I didn't walk down an aisle because of sociological data. No, I, I, I walked down an aisle for a, a, a set of reasons. Uh, there, there was some ideas that, that brought me here. And I, if I'm letting myself be shaped biz, biblically, it's values like holiness and, and uh, sexual purity. But again, that question's not going to be very satisfying. What the world wants is relationships that are built around my desires and my definitions. And, and if we reach a place, I mean, hey, you know, you have things that are a season of life. You have things that work for a while. But when they stop working, I mean, there's no reason to, to beat a dead horse. You know, when you're no longer serving my desires, when you're no longer serving my definitions, well, let's, let's, just, let's just move on. Let's each get to a place where our happiness is met, where our love 
is found. That probably is what brings a lot of couples down the aisle, isn't it? I, I, I want to find love. I want to I find happiness. And sometimes I, I, I did my best. It didn't work out. It worked for a while, but it's not working anymore. Let's, let's move on. As a matter of fact, we'll even, with this purpose in mind, it'll be very logical to come to a place where say, you know what? The kids will be happier. Everybody will be happier. We need to get to a place where we can find love and happiness. And we're not, we're not creating that here. So it just makes all the sense in the world if love and happiness is the purpose. But what if we're missing the purpose? Let's, let's start to understand what God's purpose is in bringing a man and a woman together in a marriage and starting a family. And let, let's see if we can build that biblically. We're not going to refer to sociological data. We're not going to refer to our church's opinion. We're going to find out what, what is God actually saying about why this is happening. Let's start in the Ten Commandments, something we're familiar with. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that verse goes on to say that, that this is a command that when you do this, life is going to go well. Now, I always like in my mind to think of this. That's a command, obviously, to children. I, in my mind, I like to think of this command as, as I, I just picture in my mind God getting down. Because, you know, we like to get on the level of a, of a child when we're talking to him. And God calls that little three-year-old over here. Come, 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 come here. Okay, a lot of commands you need to obey. But I, I want to give you this one. I want you to take this. You're going to cut your eye teeth on this one. Take this command. I want you to go back inside, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to honor and obey your parents. Now, is he sending them in there to do it because mom and dad are always honorable and worthy of being obeyed? No, we all know that. That, that set of parents hasn't ever happened. That, that doesn't exist. So why is God, this precious little three-year-old, we consider vulnerable and innocent. Why would this big God hand this child this, this challenge, this command, say, go back inside and do this? And it's because God is trying to teach that child, obeying me is about obeying me. If you can learn that lesson right here, it's one of your very first ones. If you can learn that lesson right here, man, life's going to go well for you. You know why life is going to go well for you? Because you're going to find it a lot easier to obey all of my commands when you understand that obeying me is about obeying me. Because, folks, God's commands are not random rules given to just make life difficult. God's commands are about making life work for you and me. God's commands are good but you know what you and I are going to do is we're going to wiggle our way out of every single command because we didn't learn this one right here when we were three. And so I've got all these commands in the Bible about loving and serving and forgiving and helping and just on and on and on and on. But, but, but there's, this, there's this problem and God just hasn't addressed it. You don't deserve for me to do any of those things. Remember the child? Go, no, 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 no. They're not worthy of it. You go in there and do that because obeying me is about obeying me. You and I make obeying God about others. And we're always, a hundred percent of the time, when we're, as, as Christians, as people who love God and I want to obey Him, we're going to end up, a hundred percent of the time, evaluating whether that person deserves for me to love, serve, forgive, help, on and on and on. And, and the way our mind works, we're always going to see that they don't deserve it, right? I, I mean, hey, you're not doing it for me. Hey, you're not doing, hey, God told you to do something for me. You're not doing it. God, they're not obeying you. 
And I've done this before. I've tried this a lot. And, and it's not changing anything. It's not fixing anything. They're still mean. <laughs> They're taking advantage of me because I'm doing what you said to do, God. And so we end up making obeying God about the other person, which means you and I never end up obeying God. And you come back now that what he was trying to tell that child, if you can learn that obeying me is about obeying me. You see, folks, the home is a lab. The home is a, a practice field. God, God delivers these commands and says, hey, let's, let's learn about me. Let's learn about these commands. Let's practice this in the home. And I, obviously, I think God's idea here is that I'm practicing all this with a group of people for whom most, it, mostly it's safe and with people who love me. Because guess what? You and I absolutely are being sent out into the world to obey God in places it's not safe. And with people who do not love us. Well, man, how do I get ready for that? The home. I want to show you a couple of really big commands and what's immediately attached to them. Look up here at Deuteronomy 6. That you may fear the Lord your God. I think most of us that have spent any time in the Bible would say, fearing the Lord. That's a big one, isn't it? As a matter of fact, on a certain level, I could say that every other command in the Bible is a description and a definition of what it looks like and what it means when you're fearing the Lord. And, and we know fearing the Lord, that doesn't mean mom and dad are to teach kids whenever you hear God's name, run and hide under the bed. It's not that kind of fear. It's a, it's a revering. It's a respect. It's an awe. An awe in his grace, an awe in his love, and letting that awe guide us and shape us and, and what we do, even if it costs, because we're so in awe. It's talking about handing a relationship about God, where I know God, and I, I come into that place where I know his blessing, and I know his love, and I, I know his favor. So here's what we do. We need to fear the Lord. Big command. And look at the path it follows. You give this to your son, you give this, and your son gives it to their son. The home is designed to be the place where the big ideas of God travel through. And that's not just about, you know, it's important in the home that we transfer our religion. You know, here, here's our religion, here's what we believe in this house, here's what you do. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying there's never a time and a place for that, but, but it's, man, it's about living and living in and passing on a relationship and letting the kids see how that relationship is lived and then helping them live that relationship, helping them live that obedience. It's all, it's all designed to take place in the home. Look at another same kind of thing. Leviticus 19.2. You shall be holy. Well, that's a big idea. Here's a big command. Again, the other kind of verse, the other kind of idea where every command in the Bible is basically showing you what holiness looks like. What God would do in this moment. How God would respond in this. Be holy. Be holy just like the Lord is holy. And what's the very next line? Every one of you shall revere your father and mother. I mean, folks, God communicates these big, huge commands, these big, huge ideas, and the very next statement takes us right into the home because the home is the primary set of relationships. It's the primary place in our life where God's design is for this to, to travel through, for, for it to be fleshed out, lived out, and 
practice. Look, let's look at one more. This is, comes from last week, actually, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. We looked at this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. If we were to go back up to verse 21, which we did last week, we started in verse 21 and read all the way down, but in verse 21 and following, you get this very detailed, very practical description, definition of here's what a wife does, here's what a husband does. It's really broken down and explained, and you come through really one of the longest passages in Scripture about being a husband and a wife, and then it gets to the end and says, oh, by the way. What I was really just talking to you about is how Jesus relates to the church. Because that's what marriage is about. Marriage is about you learning to be like Jesus. Now, what we've just done here real quickly is we've just gone kind of a real fast little Bible study, just looking at little bullet points, but building this idea of what the purpose of the home is. And every time God is at a big idea, every time God is at a big command, he's immediately going through the home To communicate it. And what we see is God developing, hey, here is the purpose of a marriage. Here is the purpose of a family. Okay, so here's the big idea. And I kind of referred to this a moment ago, but now I'm going to say it so that you really have to swallow. The purpose of marriage is not love and happiness. Just going to let that soak in for a second. Saturday is generally the marrying day. I would imagine across America there were thousands and thousands of couples that, that traveled this aisle. And there'd be a variety of reasons that they traveled that aisle, but I'll guarantee you every single one of them said, with this person I can find love. With this person I can be happy. That's why they picked this tool up. So if that is the purpose, if the purpose is love and happiness, well, then what happens when he or she is not making me feel loved, when they're not making me feel happy? Or not just he or she, just the whole family. I just, you know, I'll be honest, when I'm at this address, I just don't feel very loved. When I'm at this address, I'm not having a lot of fun. This isn't isn't happy. What do I do? Well, if that's the purpose, then I've got to pout. I've got to yell a little bit. Throw something. That's always effective. Slam something. And at some point, I'm just going to leave. This is not serving my purposes. It maybe even reach a place where you not just leave, but you leave permanently. You remember what I said just a few moments ago. It's absolutely logical. It absolutely makes all the sense in our, in our mind that if the purpose of this was to to find love and to find happiness, and I am, you are, we are, hey, nobody's fault. We just can't make it happen. This is just not, we're not going to be able to do that. So let's stop beating a dead horse and let's get to a place where we can make that happen. Makes all the sense in the world, if that's the purpose. But what if love and happiness is not the purpose? Now, just so I'm not totally wrecking your world, (laughs) I absolutely believe love and happiness is the byproduct, not the purpose, is the byproduct of working the purpose. And what is the purpose? Well, in short, it's holiness. 
Maybe a way, another way we could say what the purpose of the home is, is that it's to learn about God and to practice being like Him so we can go out in the world and do that. Folks, look at that line. Do you understand how profoundly that should change almost everything you and I thought and did related to family this week? See, what understanding the purpose means. So, so here's this person in front of me, a mate, a child. I'm, I'm not having fun. <laughs> they've hurt me. They've offended me. They, they've left me feeling empty. Whatever it is they did, I'm not liking where I am at the moment. Okay, well, if my purpose is love and happiness, then, well, we've already discussed that. You've got to throw something and you've got to leave. But, but, but what, if, what if the purpose is holiness? Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this person, and, and sometimes it's not the person. It's just the whole situation, the whole family. I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, okay, they've hurt me. They, they've left me empty. So here's what I've tried to start do, kind of in light of this principle. And I'd love to say I've been doing this for 30 or 40 years. I've really been trying to do it for 30 or 40 days, and it's kind of hard. But, but when I'm looking at somebody that's hurt me, then I stop and ask myself the question, has what this person is doing to me or is what this person, the way they're making me feel, have I ever done that to God? And you know, I'm batting a thousand. So far, nobody's done anything to me that I haven't done to God. And so now all of a sudden, okay, now since I'm just as guilty, now I'm thinking, okay, how did, how did I want God to respond in this moment? And you know, my usual answer to that, I'm not saying this is a biblical answer. I'm just telling you the truth of how I hope God responds when I sin. I kind of hope he just didn't care. Kind of hope he didn't see it, didn't care. We're just both willing to move on and pretend like it didn't happen. That, that's how I usually want God to act. I, I don't think that's how God acts. But still, even if I'm taking a wrong thought of how I hope God approaches me, wouldn't that then say something about how I ought to respond here? I think we're kind of at that thing Jesus called the golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to do to you. Here's how I want God to treat me when I'm acting like this. So perhaps this is how I should treat that person when they're acting like that. You see what's happening now when my goal is holiness, all of a sudden I'm actually growing in an appreciation and a Because listen, I, right now I really feel what this person is doing to me. Well, gosh, if God has felt that way and he's given me love, he's given me grace, he's given me mercy. Some, hey, folks, doing all this doesn't mean there's nothing matters anymore. No, God says no. God, God disciplines. God draws boundaries. But still in all of it, it's goodness. And so I'm growing in my understanding and appreciation of how God has acted in my life and getting a direction on how I need to respond and act right here. I'm only going to do that because they don't deserve it. By the way, neither do I. But we never actually focus on that part, do we? We're always very in tune with what others don't deserve, not, not so much ourselves. But, but if holy, if, if happiness and love, if these are my goals, I'm never going to think through this. I, I, I don't care how much you know the Lord and walk with the Lord. You're just not going to get to that place. You've got to have an entirely different purpose for being in that marriage, being in that family, being inside that home. And it's got to be holiness. It's got to be knowing God and living like God. Folks, literally everything going on inside your home, every, every, every uh, conversation, every wrong thing, every good thing, every reaction, every bit of it is an opportunity to learn about Christ, 
and now how I act like Christ in that moment so I can go out there and live in the world and do that. That, that, that is God's purpose for bringing me to this place. That is God's purpose for bringing me into this relationship. If we understand that, it does not make it fun and it does not make it easy. It does make it meaningful. It does make it purposeful. The only way you and I can endure difficult assignments is if we understand the purpose, if we understand the meaning and where we're, where we're trying to get with this. So, you know, so far, I mean, this message today is called Why Marriage? And, and this still sounds like I'm operating kind of at a high level and talking about why marriage, why family in general. But, but actually what we're developing is a very specific answer. Why am I doing marriage? Think of all of the answers people give to that. I bet very few and far between say holiness. Holiness, marriage, marriage is the front door into this whole thing called family and God's got a design there. And by the way, I am going to make a statement about singles because God has something for singles. If you're single, it doesn't mean you've been left out of the, out of the opportunity. But, but obviously much of humanity is going to enter this door of, of marriage and God has a design for that. God has a, a purpose in that. Why are we doing marriage? Because I want to be holy. I want to be like God. And this is a, a primary tool that he uses. It's the one place I can't get away from it. Now, I've made a lot of joke about that the last two sermons, about, about getting, I can get up and leave, but God's got me in this place that I'm trapped. Well, actually, God's not okay with me walking away from any relationship out there and not being him, not doing what he would do. But God also understands the reality that just the makeup of other relationships, we do leave at some point. So he created a few, two, four, seven. He created a few people. No, here you don't get away. And it's not because God just has fun watching us be trapped. Because maybe the biggest thing we can learn about God is his devotion, his commitment, his unconditional love and acceptance. So he puts us in a set of relationships to practice that. See, that's very different than being trapped. That's very different than just, I'm, I'm stuck here to learn being like God. No, no, no. This is one of the biggest things I learn about being like God. Is what it means to journey with somebody. To stay with them. So, is that all that God is doing in a marriage? No, God has some other purposes in marriage. Some of the things that we tend to focus on a little bit more. I would say there's one big purpose, holiness. And then there's a set of, you know, coming alongside purposes like romance. I I would actually say romance is one of God's purposes for marriage. The opportunity to experience that and enjoy that. It adds to life. And you'll notice I put there Song of Solomon, but there's no chapter and verse. You may wonder, did it run off the screen? No, read the whole Song of Solomon. You pick any chapter, pick any verse. It's only eight chapters, by the way. And go read that. That book is very, I don't even know what word to use here that's appropriate. Sensual. I'll just say sensual and leave it at that. But that is such an important reminder, folks, that that was God's idea. The devil didn't give us this. It, it, it's not the world. It's not people that gave us sex and sexuality. It's not like we came up with that on our own and God saw and came running. Yeah, what are y'all doing? Put your clothes back on. That's not what happened. 
This came from God. It's his gift. And guess what? His gift came with some instructions. Just like some of those gifts we got under the tree a couple of weeks ago. We don't like instructions, do we? I don't need the instructions. Ah, boy, if you use the instructions, it sure goes together a lot quicker and easier and works like it's supposed to and everybody has fun. Boy, when you start stepping away from the instructions, things break and they don't work like they're supposed to and they start causing a a lot of damage. And that's actually, and I I put a second purpose. I don't know if if one and two should have been one purpose, maybe two sides of the same coin. But folks, a purpose of marriage is sexual purity. That is a purpose. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I've got verse 2 there, but actually there's a, a number of places in 1 Corinthians 7 where it actually exalts the single life. You, you can be a part of God's design. You can be a part of God's blessing. You can learn whole. You can do all that as a single person. Don't, don't feel like if you're single, you're left out of all this. God exalts the single life. Let's state the obvious. A lot of our Bible heroes were single. So God clearly has something for this. And so he's presenting all that, but he says in verse two, now I'm going to tell you right now, if you can't handle doing without the sex, just get married. Because he knows how we're designed. He knows what's going on inside of here. If you can't do without that, get mar- I have marriage for that. Do you understand that? I have marriage for that. A man and a woman. Now, we don't like instructions, as I just said a moment ago. So a lot of our world steps outside of the instructions. You know, folks, a, a lot of what is being discussed, promoted, developed in our nation that is causing us to abandon and leave the family is this all of these understandings of sex and sexuality and all all these definitions. I mean, the the bottom line is we're sexually immoral. Every one of us. We're we're sexually immoral. And we do not like anybody, including God, telling us what we can and cannot do. That I cannot pursue this the way that I want to pursue it. Do, hey, listen, as long as I think everybody is safe, as long as I think everybody's in a great, as long as everything, then, then we're, we're good. But the, but the reality is it's just sexual immorality. The growing tension between our culture and the church is over this one thing. Are there other things going on? Of, of course there are. But, but, but folks, the culture doesn't hate us because we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't even think they hate us that much because we believe Jesus is the way and the only way. Probably bothers some people. Probably sounds a little bit intolerant. But that's not the growing tension between the culture and the church. The growing tension is over sexual immorality. Now, they can throw it off, and they can say, that's just what we're saying. And when I'm saying we're like, like it's that group out there and this group in here. We're very much a part of them out there when it comes to sexual immorality. You can throw off God. You can say, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. It does not change the fact that when you step outside the instructions, you break things. You break things relationally, emotionally, physically, medically. That is a scientific statement I just made that 100% of humanity proves. Again, we don't like talking about truth. 
It's amazing the number of things that go on in the human body that go on with sex and sexuality that never touch two people that have been a single man and a single woman together in marriage. Inside the instructions, it works. Outside the instructions, it breaks. It's so funny we think there's a conflict between God and science. Science does nothing but prove God every single point. So a purpose of marriage is sexual purity as defined by God. A purpose of marriage is children. Now that doesn't mean, I said this last week, that you as an individual have a command on your life to have a child. And if you don't have a child, then you're out of God's will. You you don't read any verse that comes out like that. It's an understanding that the institution of marriage it being put in place primarily is to produce children. We, we do understand that. It, again, you're not outside of God's will if you don't have a child. I can tell you as a father, when you introduce children into the situation, it really does quicken and enliven the design. I, I tell you, I, most relationships, I can walk around feeling pretty good about myself. Most of my relationships, I can die by, I'm just exactly what God wants me to be. Till I look at being a husband and a father. And then I think, boy, I'm not like God at all. I mean, it's amazing. Something about that design and those relationships and what they do really are a part. So there's no command. You have to have a child. But there's no doubt that having children is a very significant part of this design and what it does. And, and then lastly, I am getting there. I, I thought a moment ago when, when David was standing here with me and he says, when you get home this evening, I'm sure somebody thought, oh my gosh, how long is the sermon going to be? We're, we're, we're almost, and I'm already over time. So let me, number four, for comfort, companionship, and a person to compliment. And I didn't spell that wrong. It is an E, not an I. If it was I, then it would be find a, you know, the person of marriage, find somebody that tells you you're real pretty and that, that you have big muscles. You know, and by the way, probably would be effective to say they're very pretty or they have big muscles. But that, that's not what I meant there. Compliment. Compliment is the idea there, there's, there's a way I'm designed and there's a way somebody else is designed and together we're, we're more. There's a design there where I benefit by how they're made and, and, and they benefit by how I'm made. It's one of the reasons it's a man and a woman because they are generally different. That seems to be a very confusing statement today, but they are different, and that's by God's design, and when brought together, both benefit. Our problem is, as men, we usually let what makes them women drive us crazy and vice versa, and we fight the design difference rather than letting it complement and and build. But you you, you take all those there, comfort, companionship, and a a person to complement. You know, I go back to that purpose of, of being with somebody through a journey. And, you know, I, I, I think I've said this before from, from the, and not, not just at the service before. I've said this in some other sermons. But, I, I mean, folks, one of the great goals of my life that, that I would draw from this is to be married 50 years. I just, I just got to see my mom and dad this summer hit 60. So I'll take 60 too. Uh, I, that sounds pretty good also. But I, th- I think there is something unique. That when, when you see the couples, they're out there walking up and down our concourse with their hands held. And, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're still holding hands after 45, 50, 55 years. I've been married 33, and that's not there yet. And I, when I say it's not there yet, I don't mean because I've got 17 more years to go. I'm saying there's some things when you start getting to a place where it, it's exponential what's being added. 
And there's just a level of intimacy when you start to have spent a whole life together. The couples that spend a whole life together did not get there because they just made one right decision after another. They didn't get there because everything just worked out. They didn't get there because they, they never hurt each other. No, they, they're still holding hands after they've made some profoundly bad decisions that really had some steep costs, really difficult to clean up. They're still holding hands after... Boy, going through some difficult seasons of life. I have walked with a couple more than once that got divorced. And it had nothing to do with what they were doing to each other or the way they behaved. They had an event hit their marriage and their marriage could not. They couldn't hold hands through that anymore. You know, when they're, when they're still holding hands after 50 years, it's not because they, they found the one person that they could just love forever. Oh, gosh, there's no doubt you've looked at each other and thought, boy, I can't, I can't imagine being more in love than this. I can't imagine feeling this good. This is so wonderful. Of course, they've probably had one or two days where they've looked at each other and thought, I'd like to love anybody on the planet but you. I mean, really, seriously, I'll take any trade in right now. That, that's possible. There, there, listen, you don't journey 50 years without one or two of those days. But they're, they're still holding hands. And that is a depth of intimacy that cannot be duplicated anywhere else on planet Earth. Now, I could put that picture out in front of me, and, and man, that, that's, a, that's a kind of a driving motive there, and it sounds romantic, it sounds pure, it sounds so good, but that's not the purpose of what I just said. When you hold hands when you've not liked each other, when you hold hands when you have failed each other, when you hold hands when you have made a mess and you're still holding hands, it's the single greatest opportunity to understand what it means that God never lets go of your hand. There's not another opportunity. There's not another relationship to experience. God has walked with me through all of this. And we're still holding hands. So, so why get married? Why, why did y'all do that? Why? Why have children? Why, why do the family? You know, folks, there's, there's no command to get married. 1 Corinthians 7 really exalts the single life. No command to get married. No, no specific command to an individual to have children, but they are very much a part of the purpose of, of marriage. There's no age at which we're commanded. You must be married by 18 and must be having children by 20. There's not a verse that even comes close to implying anything like that. You know, you might wonder, why, why doesn't God give... You know, sometimes you've looked at somebody and thought, y'all are too young. It wouldn't be nice if God said, here's an age. But you know, that's so different from person to person. It's so different from culture to culture. You know, there's a lot of places in history, there's a lot of cultures that when a a, a 19-year-old young man married a 15-year-old young lady, that worked. The the culture, the whole way you lived life and did life, that worked. That wouldn't work in our culture. And I'm not talking about anything biblical or pure or anything like that. That would be too young. (laughs) That that you're really setting, you can do it, but you're really making, going to make life hard on yourselves and what it takes to make a living and, and survive and all that. In our culture, 19 and 15 wouldn't, wouldn't be great. 
So, I mean, it's gonna, there's going to be cultural things. There's going to be personal things that are going to adjust that age. But when you look at what God has given us and what he's designed, it seems, seems pretty clear you want to get the ball rolling. You want to enter this design. You know, if, 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 the, if the bigger goal is to go out and experience travel and jobs and making money, if, the big, if those are bigger goals, then, you know, I'm, I'm getting to 30, I'm getting to 35. I mean, all of a sudden, with each passing year, the idea of being 50 years is going to start dropping. I mean, you can get married at 35 and, and, and make it 50, but that, health-wise, a lot of us aren't going to do that. You know, have, have it, you, get, you get to a certain age, and having the children is going to become a little bit more and more of a, a question mark, and certainly children and grandchildren and anything beyond that. And so it seems like God's given a design. Hey, the goal of life is to be like me. The goal of life is to be holy. And I have designed a set of relationships. It's not the only way this can be accomplished, but I have designed a set of relationships that I know a lot of you will pick up and use. Use them for this. You use it to be like me. That's why. That's why I, I would get married. That's why I would have a family. I, I want to be like God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sitting in this room right now and hearing this, there are some things that can sound very beautiful, very encouraging, very inspirational, but then we go home. And, and there's the reality of things we say to each other, things we should have said and we didn't. There, there's things we do that are just making it more difficult. Lord, I I pray in everything we don't see just a person failing us. We see an opportunity to be like you. To be like you were for us. I I think of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just as I did all these things for you. Lord, I want to live that verse everywhere I go. I want to live that verse in every single relationship. God, I thank you. You've given me Karen to practice on that every single day. I thank you. You've given me Karen and Randy and Colin and Amy and Mary Beth. Danny and Kevin and Claire. Walton and Rose and Eloise. You've, you've given these me, these people. As a place to practice being like you. At every single meal. In every single phone call. On every single vacation, in every single interaction, in every single decision, in everything that's been done wrong, in everything you've given me, these people to be like you. Oh God, may I enjoy them and use them for just that purpose. Oh Lord, I need, we need your help. 
You know how hard it is. You know how quickly and easily our eye can be diverted from that. Lord, when I answer the question, why marriage or why family? I, I, I certainly want your truth. I want your word to be able to respond to that with. But Lord, I pray that, that my life and my home is my greatest opportunity to express how wonderful and good your word is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.